Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 2, Episode 17, Groaning for Glory. Romans 8, verses 18 to 30. Groaning. It's one of those onomatopoeia words. Uh, The word sounds a lot like the thing. Groaning. It seldom seems like a positive thing. I'm not, if you're from Ireland and you were to start groaning, someone would look at you and say, Quit your client, lad. <laughs> this week on Romans Untangled, though, we're going to look at how you can actually groan to the glory of God, and you're going to groan for the glory of God. Pastor Steve Treichler here, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Excited to be with you again. Our final two episodes of this season. We're going to end Romans chapter 8 next week. And so we're excited about that. We've been starting each episode by going through some theological terms to kind of familiarize ourselves with some of the great doctrines that are out there. We've been spending most of our time this season on the issue of ordo salutis, which is the Latin phrase meaning the order of salvation or the logical way that God works our salvation for us. We've covered a whole bunch of topics. We're on our last one today, uh, which is glorification. In other words, what's going to happen to us at the end? Uh, now, next week, we'll look at one that binds it all together. It's the theological concept of our union with Christ. But it's not technically in the order of salvation, but everything happens because of that. And we've been talking a lot about this on this podcast, but I want to highlight that next week. This week, you want to talk about glorification. And I really like this definition uh, by Stephen Presley uh, out of the Lexham Survey of Theology on the glorified body. He says this, in the last days, the righteous in Christ will experience resurrection to a new spiritual, but still physical body. He goes on in his article here to have two paragraphs, which I think are helpful to understand this glorification will go through. He says, the Christian faith has always valued the body and understood it to be an essential part of the human person. The body, therefore, is not an encumbrance to Christ's salvation, but a necessary object of it. While there have been long debates among Christians regarding the timing of the future resurrection, Christians agree that when the Lord comes again in glory, the redeemed will be raised to new life and enjoy the blessing of a glorified body. The precise nature of the glorified body is a mystery, but Scripture provides enough revelation for readers to imagine several of its features. The basic pattern for the future glorified body is the Lord's resurrected body. When the resurrected Christ appeared and conversed with others, there was obvious continuity with his former body. The disciples recognized the Lord, touched him, and confirmed he was not a phantom. At the same time, his new resurrected body did not experience normal limitations, nor was it subject to suffering, sin, and death. Thus, the glorified body is not a different body, but a different form of the same body. It is what Paul calls a spiritual body. And I want to read a couple passages that I think are super helpful on this. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And then you can also see a very a cool section in Revelation 21 and 22, where it talks about the dead being raised and, and this whole thing taking place and what kind will be some of the emotional things and the realities of what heaven will be like. But I, I want to lean in more on this idea of a glorified body. So I commend you to look at Revelation 21 and 22 often because it's where our hope is ultimately. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is probably the, the money passage when you look at this issue. So let me just read verses 42 to 58. And Paul is talking about people who have died and what's going to happen to them. And he says this, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. This is quintessential Paul. We're going to see this totally today. He loves to do contrasts of things, right? He keeps going on then. If there is a natural body, there will also be a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this this last step of the order of salvation, glorification, when we will be made with our new bodies to live in a physical place. So I think a lot of people think of heaven and it's like this spiritual place that's up in the clouds somewhere, but it's a, it's a new heaven and a new earth and it'll be very physical in, in a sense. We will have, we'll, we'll be like the risen Christ, but our bodies aren't going to go through the same things we do here on earth. We're not going to be susceptible to sin. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, according to Revelation chapter 21. We'll be able to be right with God and see him a lot symbolically like what was taking place in the garden where it says God walked with them in the cool of the day. So there'll be a lot of that. In other words, it's going to be a wonderful place and all of the back aches, that's my chronic thing, and, and other things that we have will not be that way anymore. And we're going to spend a lot of time looking at that topic this week on our passage in Romans on what we look forward to. So these two link what I'm talking about here and our passage in Romans. But that is ultimately our hope is one day, one day, one day, it'll all be right. 
And that's what we look forward to. It's called glorification. It's the last step of the Ordo Salutis, or the Order of Salvation. Okay, let's get into Romans this week. And I want to remind you of last week, because they, these two passages link. Last week, we read uh, all the way from verse 5 through 17, but I want to just read from 12 to 17, just to remind you of it. So he says in verse 12, he says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy. That's what that means. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Okay, so the whole point of Romans 1 uh, Romans 8, verse 1, all the way down through this is, remember Romans 8, 1, he says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he's going to unpack that in a, in, a, in a variety of different ways. But he's going to what he's talking about is two different realms. And if people live in the realm of the flesh or this world, then that's you're, you're condemned already. But if you're in the realm of the spirit, you're in Christ, you've, you know him, you've come to the point where you've trusted him, You've said yes to Jesus Christ. He is your life. Paul says you're in a new realm now. You're you're totally in this. And this realm involves being, uh, it says you've received the spirit of adoption. You're not only, it's not only that God has forgiven your sins, he's adopted you into his family. And not only that, but you're going to get the possessions, it says here. You're heirs of God. God is your reward so what's my, you know, what's my inheritance? It's God. We're going to be with God. And then it says I'm co-heirs with Christ because Christ became, he became human. Second person of the Trinity added humanity and came to earth. And so we're co-heirs with him. So in some ways, we're, we're, of course, we're not equal with him, but we're in him and we're with him and we're co-heirs with him. And then it says this, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Now, that verse, I didn't spend a lot of time on it last week uh, because it's a mic drop. It's like, where did this come from? <laughs> Dude, everything was going so good, man. We're just no condemnation. This is great. I'm a child of God, all this and all. Boom, you're suffering. <laughs> you're going to suffer and then that will lead to glory. So now what, what we're going to read now, Romans 8, 18 through 30, the point of it is it's an explanation of what he meant by this phrase. What does it mean now that we are in indeed suffering with him so that we may be glorified with him? And it's going to be the whole thing is going to uh, go from there. So let me read it through. But you're, if you understand it in that right away, that kind of helps you untangle this. Like, what's he going after right now? Well, he's, he's explaining verse 17. What does it mean that this is who we are. So let me read it and then we'll kind of walk through the passage. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by but by will, by the will of the one who subjected it, 
in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. This is one of those passages that, and we're going to hit another one next week, which is just such an encouragement. I mean, and I know if you've been following along with with Romans Untangled, it, there are definitely a lot of there's a lot of untangling that needs to take place, and understanding things about law and about uh, the storyline of Scripture and how Abraham fits in and how does this all happen and how we're now set free from the law and yet we're given freedom to obey, but not because we have to, but because we get to. And Paul spends most of Romans six, seven, and eight describing what does that mean if I'm not under obligation to obey anymore? Why would I? And Paul just goes, man, it's because you're free. This is the ways of God. This is the ways of joy. You're not in that old realm anymore. You're in a new realm. He goes on and on to say these kind of things. But here he talks about our experience right now. And and uh, I believe it was theologian uh, George Ladd in his book, New Testament Theology, that really unpacked uh, a, a phrase that has been used ever since, I think he wrote it in the 1960s or early 70s. And and it, it, it's this phrase that says, already but not yet. In other words, there are things that happen to the life of the Christian that come in and the kingdom has come, but like we've been talking about several times, we're new creation people in an old creation world still. And we still have this flesh with us that still is very susceptible to all the old creation realities of temptation, of sickness, of aging and death, and all these things. And so we're living our lives in a as a new creation person in this old creation world, and it's complicated. And what's so encouraging for me is to read passages like this that scream to me my experience. They just scream it to me. If you watch the news at all, you, you, you just there's just things that aren't right in the world. Uh, we we have been watching uh, Lester Holt with NBC News and and really appreciate his take and I don't 
uh, I may try to make a political statement here or not, but you know they're all they're all great. You can watch whatever you want. But the the, the idea here is there's a, there's a pattern to the evening news that they follow, and it's kind of bad news first, and then kind of informational, maybe semi bad, semi good news, and then always a human interest story, which makes you think they're still as good in the world. And they they, almost, they do this almost every week. I mean, excuse me, every day. And so you you have this pattern in there, and it's like, yeah, that's my experience. My experience right now is sometimes I have the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. I've had people ask me, how are you doing? People who are my friends, you know, and if somebody just passing by, how are you doing? You know, fine, right. But if, if you're really asking me, how am I doing? <laughs> I have to look at them and say this. I say, give me a category. <laughs> and even within the category, give me a subcategory. Because it's, as to quote the the uh, <laughs> the great writer from A Tale of Two Cities, uh, Charles Dickens, uh, it's it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And that's what this passage is really getting after. It's fascinating. I put together a little chart here, and uh, and I know I'm a geek, but I took the verses and I put them into two different columns. And I everything that talked about, okay, what's happening right now, with, which I would say would be the already, there's already things that are going on today. And then what's something that will happen later and it will be better? It's the not yet. And so if I just go through the passage this way, I see that we have present sufferings, but they're not worth comparing with the next column, the glory that will be revealed in us. Already it says the creation waits in eager expectation. For what? For the children of God to be revealed, something that's going to happen. Go back to the next verse, verse 20. It says, The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own, but by the one, the will of the one who subjected it. And then what's going to happen? In the hope that the creation itself will be liberated. From what? This the already. From its bondage to decay. And then the new, and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. And now here talks about our experience here. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now, I love that when you go back to verse 19. It says, the creation waits in eager expectation or deep longing. Like there's something deep within us that we know things are not the way they're supposed to be. And yet there's also something deep within us that says there's a lot right and there's a lot coming that's even better. Verse uh, 23, not only so, but we ourselves uh who have the fruits, first fruits of the Spirit. So it's like, okay, that's that's describing us right now. We have the first fruits, but in the, right now it says we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for what's coming, the adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. What is true now? This all of the second part of verse 24 all the way through 27. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us uh, through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That's what's happening right now. It's amazing. It's so encouraging, and yet it says we don't have our hope yet. The Spirit is interceding for us, and there's wordless groans. The Spirit is praying for us, and there's wordless groans that even the Spirit has. It's kind of like it's kind of like uh, 
championing on someone at the end of the race, like, come on, come on, you can do it. I'm praying for you. I want you to come, right? And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people, right? And then he goes on in this section, which is the end of this, and it's a, it's a verse that's often quoted. Verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Okay, so I know people say, oh, that Romans 8, 28, that's so overquoted. I've seen it on so many coffee mugs and all that. It's not possible. It's not possible to overquote that verse. It is trite, <laughs> you know, because I think people use it as, you know, when somebody's going through a hard time and you say, oh, no, 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 God's working all this for good. That's a totally true statement, 100%. At the same time, it's also right for them to groan deeply about the way things are wrong right now. That's what the passage even tells to us. It says, we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. So there's something right about groaning. Okay, so groaning good grumbling bad, okay? <laughs> grumbling bad. Grumbling is complaining. It's, it's, it's looking at, at God and blaming him ultimately for what's happened. That's not it. Groaning is saying, I wish that things were the way they will be. And there's something within me that just deeply, deeply wants that. Let me, let me just read this last section again. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. And then verse 29 and 30. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, a lot of people get hung up on this and it's like, wow, that just sounds like this Calvinist thing and it's all about predestination and all this kind of thing. Okay, fine. If, if you want to go into that theology, and, and I believe that, but that's not the point here. The point is, do you understand that God is for you? That God is behind you? That God is the one doing the work in your life? Even as we groan, the, the reason I say that is because a lot of people, when they look at this passage, they stop right there and they say, "Well, that's an independent thought." But I, you know, if we've learned anything here in, in uh, hopefully on Romans Untangled, context of what's going on is huge, right? We have to look at the context of this passage. The very next verse, verse thirty-one, which we're going to cover next week in our last episode of season two, it says, "What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us?" And the rhetorical answer to that rhetorical question is absolutely no one, right? If God is for us, who possibly could be against us? No one. This passage is one of those passages that, for me, has been huge in my life. When I first stumbled, like I told you, when I was a relatively new Christian, I didn't know any better. I read Romans. <laughs> I didn't know that it was an advanced book. I just thought the Bible was for reading. And there's a lot of things in the Bible I didn't understand. There's still things I struggle with. No question about it. After pushing, pushing, going to be close to 40 years here being a follower of Jesus. Of course there is. And I love that. I love the exploratory nature of still studying Scripture. And if that's just the revealed word that we have now, just think what glory will be like and when we have we have face-to-face -face with God and just will continually learn and grow and love and, and just see 
beauty like it's never been seen in our lifetime. It just we'll have eternity to enjoy it and never get bored. So, um, but I when I went when I first came to became a follower of Christ, I went through a pretty deep depression, anxiety, depression off the charts. Uh, didn't know it was called anxiety then. Didn't even know what a panic attack was, but I was having them on a variety of different things. And I came across this passage, and it so, so much told me my experience, which was, I have unbelievable joy right now in the midst of incredible sorrow, like deep, deep depression. And what was God doing to that? I don't know. He's doing 10,000 things, of which I know five. But I know a few of them. And one was... He was taking me through this time, so maybe I wouldn't be so much of an arrogant SOB. Now, those of you who know me know I'm still an SOB, but not nearly as arrogant. Because this was God's pathway for me to to show me how much I needed Him. But more than that, I think what God was teaching me what to do was the beginnings of my discipleship with Him was, I want to teach Steve how to groan well. I want him to long for that day when he will be with me and not sense this anymore. Now, listen, I'm not, I'm not advocating that whatever you're going through, if it's a deep struggle, maybe you're going through deep depression, maybe you have some physical ailments, maybe you have some relational problems, uh, you may have an addiction happening right now. I, I'm not trying to say that, oh, those are good things, right? And that's not what I think we're, that's an overuse of Romans 8, 28. Those are not good things. But And God doesn't promise that he's going to walk you around that river. He says, we're going through the river. And that's where the hope is. That as you walk through the river and you learn how to groan of the, of the things God promises, the waters will not wash you away. It will not, it will not take you, but it, we're going through it. I remember one of our pastors, uh, Pastor Drew Zulke, he he made a comment about his grandmother who he said was the sweetest old woman, very uh, loved the Lord, was just a good Lutheran person. Uh, and I mean that, and I don't mean that, I'm positive. I just love that. And um, But at the end of her life, uh, she was in a hospice care. And she said to the family, she said, would you get me out of this hellhole? And they were really concerned that Oh my gosh, Grandma! Have people not been taking care of you well? You know, uh, is something something happened? And she says, "No, I don't mean that. I just mean this Earth. I'm tired of living here. I want to go home. I want to be with my Lord." And I just was like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's this passage, right? That's exactly this passage." Uh, thank you, Grandma. It's it it exactly says that we are to be people who learn how to groan for glory. I, but I, again, it's not griping. It's not complaining or what the Bible often calls grumbling. That's different. This is saying, Lord, I'm so appreciative for everything you've given me, but I, I'm not going to try to put my hope in that. I'm going to put my hope in you, and therefore, that's not fully yet there. And so there's something not quite right, and I can't wait for that day. I look forward to it. That is our hope. Our hope is in that one day. Our hope is not in today. 
Now, that doesn't mean that this life is is bad. Again, this life can be very good, but it's just not ultimately what we'll be like. And I'm, I'm telling you this, and I've had a lot, of, a lot of friends of mine have passed away, and I've thought about this, and I thought, you know, I know we're all sad and, and because death is wrong and, and funerals are wrong and it's not the way it's supposed to be. But 30 seconds after they've been with the Lord, as much as they love all of us, they would say, oh, whoa, dude, you got to come here. This is amazing. This is what we were created for. It's like back in the Garden of Eden where they walked with God and there was they were naked and unashamed. It was just like, oh my gosh, everything is right. I didn't even realize some things were wrong. Then now when they're right, I go, oh my gosh, that's not the way it was supposed to be. That's what our hope is. That's the point of the gospel. It's a reunion with God. God is our reward. In other words, we're heirs of God. That's what we're going to get. And this passage helps us to groan for it. So, I hope you can apply this. I really do. I hope this can be an encouragement to you, really honestly, for the rest of your lives. As you look at how to, what does it look like to groan inwardly, groan correctly without becoming grumblers or complainers, but groaning for the glory of God. Next week, we finish up with an amazing passage uh, with uh, at the end of Romans. I'm hoping to do... Uh, two to three bonus episodes this summer sometime and then season three will start sometime after Labor Day but next week we close off Romans Untangled season two have a great week <laughs>